First and football show. I am your host, Tobias Brown, and we are back with episode 14. And today would normally be Hot Take Wednesday, but there is way too much going on in the football world right now. So we are going to discuss all the latest news and notes from around the football world. We're going to push Hot Take Wednesday back to Friday of this week. So we will still have a Hot Take podcast. It will just be Friday of this week. But we've got a lot to digest and talk about today. First and foremost, Tom Brady has made it official. Tom Brady has officially retired from the NFL after 22 years in the league. Um, Of course, there was the Adam Schefter and Jeff Darlington report on Saturday. Brady kind of pushed back on it. He did finally make it official today. Um, not No real surprise here. I felt all along that Brady truly was going to retire at this point. It's truly the craziest career we've ever seen. It's the best career we've ever seen. I mean, you think about being a sixth round pick and not just being a sixth round pick. We've seen talented sixth round picks before that had big time college careers, but Tom Brady didn't have your typical big time college career. Tom Brady was never the full time starter for an entire season at Michigan where it felt like, you know, whether it was backing up Brian Greasy or splitting reps with Drew Henson, Brady never had the full confidence of Lloyd Carr and the coaching staff while at Michigan. You know, a lot of people still felt like, given the fact that Brady was notorious in college for leading comebacks when he played, that he would more than likely go in the middle rounds. The 2000 quarterback class wasn't anything special. Chad Pennington was the only quarterback taken in the first round of that class. The other quarterbacks taken other than, you know, the occasion. I mean, Spurgeon Wynn barely played in the NFL. He was drafted by the Browns ahead of Brady. You had Giovanni Carmazzi, who went in the third round of the 49ers. He never took a snap in the NFL. T. Martin went to the Steelers ahead of Brady. Again, spot starts, nothing serious. There just really wasn't anybody in this class who was definitively a good quarterback. Brady, you know, Chad Pennington had a nice career, but Brady obviously, you know, by far the best career we've ever seen from any position. I would venture to say it is the most decorated career we've ever seen from a sports athlete ever. I've seen some takes where people are comparing, well, where does Tom Brady rank against Michael Jordan or Muhammad Ali or Tiger Woods or some of the other, you know, LeBron James, some of the most decorated athletes in their sport. You can't compare Tom Brady's success to Michael Jordan's success or Tom Brady's success to LeBron James' success. They play completely different sports. They play sports that, you know, in basketball, one guy can carry a team a lot easier than in football. In football, you can have a really good player at one position and they can, I mean, look at the Houston Texans when Deshaun Watson was doing his thing and they still had a losing record, a top 10 pick. And Deshaun Watson was one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL at the time. So don't compare Tom Brady to other athletes and other sports. However, you can say the accolades he has achieved, the, you know, status he has achieved, you can put it up there with any of the greatest athletes of all time in any sport. I mean, just to kind of give you a snapshot of his career, finished his career with 84,520 passing yards, 624 touchdowns to 203 interceptions, completed 64.2% of his passes, 
He was a seven-time Super Bowl champion, a five-time Super Bowl MVP, a three-time NFL MVP, two-time Offensive Player of the Year, one Comeback Player of the Year in 2009 after coming back from his torn ACL that he suffered the previous season. I mean, truly just a fantastic career for Tom Brady. And now it kind of puts the Bucks in an interesting position. The Buccaneers do have a good roster on paper. They have a good coaching staff. I mean, Bruce Arians is widely regarded as one of the better coaches in the league. Bruce Arians, we've seen what he's done with quarterbacks in the past, most notably his time in Arizona with Carson Palmer. In 2015, Palmer was a perennial MVP candidate that season with Arians as his coach. So what do the Buccaneers choose to do? They spent a second-round pick last year on Kyle Trask, the quarterback out of Florida. Do they try to build around him? Do they give him a legitimate you know, chance to start. The only other quarterbacks on the roster right now are Ryan Griffin, who's pretty much just been a journeyman third string quarterback his entire career. Also spent some time with the Saints at one point. And then Blaine Gabbert, the former first round pick of the Jacksonville Jaguars out of Missouri. Again, Blaine Gabbert, you know, widely regarded as a bust, has been a backup now for the last several years. Um, I think if you're going to give anybody a shot to win that job, it would be Kyle Trask. If they go outside of their current locker room, which I think would probably be the smartest decision, I, for one, do not think Kyle Trask is a starting quarterback in the NFL, just from what I saw of him when he was in college. But if they went outside of their locker room, we've talked in depth about the free agent quarterback class this offseason. You know, it's decent, not great. They, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick is a guy who has played for them. Would he consider going back? Um, Jameis Winston has played there. Would they consider a reunion with the Jameis Winston? Could they get a Jameis Winston for a little bit cheaper since he is coming off an injury? Would they look at a Marcus Mariota? Would they make a play for a Jimmy Garoppolo? Would they make a play for a Kirk Cousins? What are they going to do? I don't see them being able to lure a Aaron Rodgers or a Russell Wilson, given some of the bigger contracts they already have. Not sure that they would be able to maneuver that. But what would they do? I'm not sure that they would be in the market to draft a quarterback in the first round. For one, they're you know obviously with them having made it to the divisional round, they're going to have a later first-round pick. So some of the top first-round quarterbacks will more than likely be gone, I think, specifically to Kenny Pickett, potentially Malik Willis. And let's be honest, this quarterback class is iffy. There is some elite traits. Malik Willis, if you put on a highlight tape of Malik Willis, the quarterback out of Liberty, he is going to do some things that are just going to make your jaw hit the floor. He has the ability. He's a terrific runner. He has a massive arm. But he's also, he's got a lot of raw potential. So does that ever click? We've seen some big toolsy traits quarterbacks like him come out before and not have as much success. I think there's a lot of potential there. I just don't know that, A, he's going to be there when the Buccaneers pick, and B, even if he is there, is he worth the first round pick? Kenny Pickett's another one. Kenny Pickett's most recently been in the news because, you know, when they do the combine and the senior bowl and everything, quarterbacks always have their hands measured. And it's been widely regarded for years that quarterbacks, you know, they've got to have a certain hand size to be able to grip the football, particularly in cold weather. And Kenny Pickett, did he declined to have his hands measured. Many people believe that's because his hands are under nine inches in length. Um, that would obviously be you know, one of the smallest, we've never seen a quarterback with hands that small succeed at the NFL level. So could that potentially be an issue? Obviously Tampa Bay is not a cold weather climate, but still nonetheless, something to keep an eye on. I, in my personal opinion, I think Tampa Bay has too good of a roster to do a rebuild. I think Tampa Bay is either going to try and build around Kyle Trask 
or Tampa Bay is going to try and make a play for a Jimmy Garoppolo, a Kirk Cousins, a Derek Carr, somebody who keeps them relevant. Because, for one, Bruce Arians isn't a rebuild type of coach. You don't have a coach of Bruce Arians' caliber to try and rebuild with. So, it'd be interesting to see what Tampa Bay does. There's rumors going around that Tom Brady may sign a one-day contract to retire as a member of the New England Patriots. Doesn't appear that anything's been confirmed there. Kind of hope he does. It would just obviously be awesome to see Tom retire as a Patriot. So, we'll keep an eye on that. But the other big news coming out of the NFL today is... The Brian Flores, um, he Brian Flores is suing the NFL, the New York Giants, the Denver Broncos, amongst others. Um, essentially, what he is suing about is racial discrimination in the hiring process when the NFL teams hire head coaches and coaches in general. That there is racial discrimination. You know, the NFL has come out within two hours of the lawsuit being made public and said, you know. They're, they, they're eager to fight the claims. These are baseless claims. They have no merit. The Broncos and Giants have both issued similar comments. He's also most notably going after the Miami Dolphins. I will tell you, he's got strong cases. Looking specifically at the Giants case, his big, the, the big crucial piece of evidence in the Giants case is the fact that he has text messages between himself and Bill Belichick where Belichick texted Flores thinking that he was texting Brian Dayball to congratulate him on getting hired as the Giants head coach. Of course, Flores goes, well, I don't know that I've gotten the job yet. I don't interview until Thursday. So Belichick texted Flores three days before Flores had interviewed for the job. Now, Belichick thought he was texting Brian Dayball. So what that tells us is the Giants, prior to having even interviewed Brian Flores had already made it known amongst league circles that they were going to hire Dayball. So essentially, they'd already made their mind up that Brian Dayball was going to be their head coach, and they were just interviewing Brian Flores as a formality. And what Flores what Flores is asserting is essentially that interview was a sham interview. It was just a formality, so the Giants could ad- adhere to the Rooney Rule. The Rooney Rule, of course, was founded in 2003, essentially just says that the NFL teams have to interview a certain amount of minorities when they have openings. Yes, the Rooney Rule on its the the Rooney Rule had good intentions. The Rooney Rule was intended at the time there was very very few minority coaches, and so the Rooney Rule the intent of it was to help that to help the number of minorities be able to get jobs in the NFL. Which is, I mean, Brian Flores, first and foremost, Brian Flores is a overqualified candidate to be an NFL head coach. I can think of several current coaches that I would rather have than Brian, I, that I would, I would rather have Brian Flores than them. I Specifically, I if I was the Las Vegas Raiders, I would take Brian Flores over Josh McDaniels in a heartbeat. If I was the Chicago Bears, if I was going to hire, because see, the Bears hired a defensive-minded coach in Matt Eberflus. Now, Matt Eberflus is highly regarded in league circles, but still, I would have taken Brian Flores over Matt Eberflus. I would rather have Brian Flores than what the Carolina Panthers have with Matt Rule. So, Brian Flores is clearly qualified to be an NFL head coach. I, I don't think anybody is going to argue that Brian Flores is not qualified to be an NFL head coach. The issues with... What were what Brian Flores? A couple of the issues I have here is for one, if Brian Flores now we obviously we don't know what Brian Flores is going to argue because we 
have the trial hasn't played out. There, nothing has happened, so we don't know what is going to happen. But Brian Dayball, the the coach who got the Giants head coaching job, is an extremely qualified coach. He was widely sought after by every team who had a coaching availability. People wanted Brian Dayball. So it's not that the Giants hired an inferior coach. Brian Dayball is just as qualified. If you look at the Denver Broncos, which is another team that Flores is um, suing, he is alleging that when he interviewed for the Broncos opening in 2019, when the Broncos ultimately hired Vic Fangio, that essentially the Denver Broncos personnel that came to interview him, they showed up an hour late, they were disheveled, um, they were you know real messy, you could tell they had been drinking heavily the night before, and that it was another sham interview that wasn't taken seriously. Again, Vic Fangio was an extremely well-sought-after coach. Vic Fangio, that was his first head coaching opportunity. He was widely regarded as one of the most brilliant defensive minds in football, had been the defensive coordinator for the Chicago Bears for numerous seasons. It was not that the Broncos hired an inferior coach over Flores. What Flores is asserting is that... The Rooney rule essentially just says he gets an interview, so that way these NFL teams meet the quota of interviewing a minority. That, on its face value, I definitely Brian Flores has a case there. He has a case there that these, especially with the Giants situation, the Giants situation is the most compelling for that argument. If the Giants had already made up their mind that they were going to hire Brian Dayball, then why did they waste his time? Why did they waste Flores' time? He's got a compelling argument there. Now, if he takes it to the level of he was more qualified than Fangio or Dayball, that's where I think we could run into issues because Dayball and Fangio were both widely regarded candidates when they were hired by the Giants and the Broncos, respectively. So... I think it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Now, the Dolphins situation, him going after the Dolphins in this lawsuit, this is where he he has a home run case, in my opinion, with this Dolphins situation. One of the things he asserts in his lawsuit is that Miami Dolphins owner Stephen Ross offered Flores $100,000 for each loss the Dolphins took. So essentially, for each time the Miami Dolphins lost a game in 2019, owner Stephen Ross was going to give Brian Flores an extra $100,000, so that way they would tank to have a higher draft pick to be able to draft a better quarterback. Um, Obviously, at that time, the big thing was tank for Tua. So... Stephen Ross was going to pay Flores to tank, essentially. Now, the reason this is notable is because Stephen Ross just fired Brian Flores, and obviously Stephen Ross said, you know, it had a lot to do with us being able to work together, you know, being able to collaborate together, but you know he's going to point to the fact that Brian Flores didn't make the playoffs, you know he's going to point to the fact that Brian Flores never made the playoffs with the Miami Dolphins, and I mean, Flores has a open and shut, if he can prove that that really transpired, that is that is some pretty crucial evidence. The big thing is going to be, what can he prove? I, sadly, this could end up being the end of Brian Flores's head coaching opportunities. He was a finalist for the Houston Texans job, um, was also scheduled to interview for the New Orleans Saints job. I don't know. Obviously, none of us know whether or not those interviews and those opportunities will stand. 
I think Flores does have a case, though. He he does, and he can he can point to other instances. He can point to the Houston Texans firing David Culley after just one season this past year, when really he outperformed expectations. He can point to the Arizona Cardinals firing Steve Wilkes after just one season, when Steve Wilkes was given given absolutely nothing to work with, having Josh Rosen at quarterback, you know, who had one of the worst quarterback seasons we've seen in a while. Minority coaches have definitely been given some bad deals in the past and not been given as much of an opportunity. Flores can point to the fact that the Miami Dolphins gave Adam Gase ample opportunities and ample seasons, even though Adam Gase did absolutely nothing in his tenure with the Dolphins. And then even after showing to be completely inept as a head coach, showing he was not worth anything as a head coach with the Dolphins, Adam Gase was still able to land multiple seasons as a head coach with the New York Jets. So he's got arguments there. The NFL obviously is going to push back and say it wasn't just minority coaches who have been one and done's in the past. They'll obviously point to coaches like San Francisco, former San Francisco 49ers head coach Jim Tom Sola, who went six and eleven in his one season as a head coach. Not six and eleven. He went six and ten in his one season as a head coach and was fired by the San Francisco 49ers. So there's it's going to be interesting to see how this one plays out. Definitely one to keep an eye on because there could be massive ramifications. Depending on what Brian Flores has as evidence, what he and his legal team present, this could end up having massive ramifications throughout the league. Definitely something to keep an eye on. Another team, though, who is still looking to fill a vacancy with their head coaching position is the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings, of course, moved on from Mike Zimmer. They're looking to hire a head coach. They are scheduled to interview Patrick Graham. He is the current defensive coordinator of the New York Giants. They've also done a second interview with Los Angeles Rams offensive coordinator Kevin O'Connell. Of course, Kevin O'Connell is a former NFL quarterback. So they've got a couple candidates there, but the big candidate that they are currently looking at is Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh, of course, the former San Francisco 49ers head coach, took the 49ers to a Super Bowl, also is the current head coach at the University of Michigan, has had, you know, there for a little bit, it was moderate success at Michigan. Obviously, this past season had great success getting them to the college football playoff. Harbaugh is scheduled to go to Minnesota to interview for the job in person with many people close to Harbaugh believing that Harbaugh is confident he is going to get the job. There have been reports from recruits who have been recruited by the University of Michigan that have said that, hey, Harbaugh told us that if the NFL had interest in him, if an NFL team wanted to hire him, he would probably take the job. And Jim Harbaugh is a qualified coach to be back in the NFL. This is not a Urban Meyer situation. I know a lot of people are going to immediately point to Urban Meyer because he was the most recent college coach to go to the NFL. This isn't that situation. Jim Harbaugh has been in the NFL and he had success in the NFL. This isn't Chip Kelly going from Oregon to the Eagles and not having success. You know, this isn't Urban Meyer, you know, in Jacksonville. Jim Harbaugh had success in the NFL with the San Francisco 49ers, of course, taking them to a Super Bowl. Jim Harbaugh is an established coach. We know he has the potential to do it. I don't think this would be a bad hire for the Minnesota Vikings. I definitely like this more than the initial rumor of Lane Kiffin. I think Harbaugh is definitely a better hire. And we've seen coaches who had to do this. They went from the college ranks 
to the NFL and had success after their first stint in the NFL. You think about Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll, of of course, coached the New England Patriots in the 90s, had moderate success there, was fired. He goes to the college ranks, is the head coach at USC, has a lot of success there, and gets the job with the Seattle Seahawks, and we've seen what he's done there, of course, winning a Super Bowl and going to another. So I don't think this would be a bad hire for the Vikings. I think Harbaugh would do really well for them, obviously Harbaugh being a former NFL quarterback himself. He... It would be interesting to see what the Vikings would do at that standpoint. Obviously, Kirk Cousins is a huge contract on the books for them. Would they look to continue to build around Kirk Cousins and some of the offensive weapons they have, including Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen? Or would they look to get Harbaugh, his guy at quarterback, get him a quarterback he wants? How would that look? Obviously, the Vikings have a new GM as well. So be really interesting to see how that one plays out. Definitely something to keep an eye on. Wanted to also update you guys on Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams is someone we have been watching closely here. Um, Caleb Williams, of course, was a starting quarterback at the University of Oklahoma this past season. He came in and replaced Spencer Rattler when Rattler was benched midway through the season. Had a pretty successful season. He completed completed 64 and a half percent. So 64 and a half percent of his passes, 21 touchdowns, four interceptions for 1,912 yards. That's a pretty good season from a freshman quarterback in the Big 12. He, though, decided that he was going to enter the transfer portal. At first, we speculated, well, does this all have to do with the NIL deals, the name, image, and likeness deals? Williams quickly came out. He and his father came out and said, no, it has nothing to do with the NIL deals. Williams just knows that he is an NFL caliber quarterback, and he wants to see if there is another program out there that gives him a better chance to fine tool his craft and get better and better prepare him for the NFL. I mean, that makes sense. The Oklahoma Sooners had just lost their head coach, Lincoln Riley, who is widely regarded as a brilliant offensive mind. They replaced him with a defensive-minded coach and former Clemson defensive coordinator Brent Venables. So Williams is starting to think, well, is Venables going to be able to showcase my talent as much? Is Venables going to be able to help get me ready for the NFL? So Williams puts his name in the transfer portal. He had been linked to LSU, of course, with their new head coach, Brian Kelly. He had been linked to Wisconsin, which was kind of a weird one, but he'd also been linked to USC, which of course is where his former head coach Lincoln Riley went. Well, Caleb Williams made it official today. He has committed to USC. He is going to follow his former head coach Lincoln Riley and play for the Trojans in the Pac-12 next season. And I know immediately a lot of people are going to say, well, the Pac-12 is not that good of competition. You know, the Big 12 has better football than the Pac-12. Why would he go to the Pac-12 if he's trying to get ready for the NFL? Well, for one, the Pac-12 is still Power 5 college football. There are still plenty of NFL-caliber players who come out of the Pac-12 every year. We see plenty. You think most notably of Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert was a first-round pick just two seasons ago and has had incredible success since day one in the NFL. He went to Oregon. He played in the Pac-12. The Pac-12 can produce talented players, so we've got to get over that stigma too. Like we talked about, Lincoln Riley is an incredibly brilliant offensive-minded coach. Williams obviously recognizes the fact that Lincoln Riley is going to give him the best chance to showcase his talents on a national level and get to the NFL. And the bottom line is, if you are the starting quarterback at USC and you have big-time success at USC as the starting quarterback, 
you're going to get drafted. You think about all the quarterbacks USC has had and where they went in the NFL. Carson Palmer, first-round pick. Sam Darnold, first-round pick. Mark Sanchez, first-round pick. Matt Leiner, first-round pick. John David Booty got drafted to the Minnesota Vikings in the fifth round. Matt Castle. Matt Castle never played a game, never started a game at USC. Only attempted, I believe, like 30 or 35 passes in his entire college career at USC. He still got drafted and played in the NFL for several seasons. USC is known for producing quarterbacks. They may not always turn out to be great quarterbacks, but they're known for producing them. I also forgot to mention Matt Barkley. Matt Barkley was another former USC quarterback who went to the NFL and has stuck in the NFL for several seasons. So USC is a place where you can go get quarterbacks. I don't blame Caleb Williams for making this move. What I think is tremendous is just how quickly USC has turned around since Lincoln Riley has got there. Caleb Williams is not the only big name they've gotten in the transfer portal. They also recently got former Oregon Duck running back Travis Dye. Travis Dye, of course, had over 1,200 yards, total yards for the Oregon Ducks last season. Big time player for them. That was a huge get. They also got Brendan Rice, former University of Colorado wide receiver. Brendan Rice, of course, most notably is the son of Hall of Fame wide receiver Jerry Rice. Had a pretty respectable career so far with the Colorado Buffalo. So, Lincoln Riley is going into the transfer portal and he's having a lot of success. I wouldn't be surprised if surprised if USC flips the script in a major way next season is a and is a big time contender. For one, the Pac-12, it's while it is still Power Five football and they do produce NFL caliber, you know, players, they also have some pretty bad teams in the Pac-12. Arizona has been pretty bad for a number of seasons. You know, Colorado is usually up and down. Washington State has been up and down now for several seasons. Oregon State's another one that is historically not been relevant for a number of seasons. So in the Pac-12, you do have an easier road to success than, say, in the Big 12. And of course, one thing that people have to keep in mind is Oklahoma was going to be leaving the Big 12 in a couple seasons to go to the SEC. So you think he that Lincoln Riley had a hard time coaching at Oklahoma in the Big 12. Imagine what it would be like coaching in the SEC, where Oklahoma probably in the SEC, I mean, if you really stop and think about it, is Oklahoma the fourth, fourth or fifth best team in the SEC? If you stop and think about it, from year in and year out, obviously you're going to put Alabama and Georgia ahead of Oklahoma automatically. But then we have to begin to discuss, is Alabama, is Oklahoma going to beat Florida on a regular basis? Is Oklahoma going to beat LSU on a regular basis? Is Oklahoma going to beat Texas A&M on a regular basis? I would like to think Oklahoma can get past Arkansas and Kentucky on a regular basis. But again, those are toss-ups. So I don't blame Lincoln Riley for one jumping shit to USC. And I think the roster he is building at USC is built to have a lot of success out there in the Pac-12. Last thing I wanted to touch on with you guys today is the 49ers and Jimmy G, Jimmy Garoppolo, they have come out and made it public that they are working together to find a trade partner for Garoppolo. So obviously Garoppolo had the meltdown in the playoffs. He just did not play good football in the playoffs. Somehow the 49ers were still able to weather that storm and not only get to the NFC championship game, but 
you know, have a lead for a good portion of that NFC championship game and have a legitimate shot at making it to the Super Bowl with his lackluster quarterback play in the playoffs. Now, I will tell you, I don't think what we saw from Garoppolo in the playoffs is indicative of his, you know, ability. I don't think that that is just Jimmy Garoppolo and he's just, you know, the 30th best quarterback in the NFL. Jimmy Garoppolo is a serviceable starter. He would be an instant upgrade for several teams. I think about the Denver Broncos. If the Broncos are not able to get Aaron Rodgers, if they can't close a deal there, Jimmy Garoppolo is an instant upgrade over what they have there right now. And the Denver Broncos were a, you know, just mediocre quarterback away from being a playoff team this year. So Jimmy Garoppolo would potentially push them over the hump. I think about the Washington football team and the you know quarterback play they've had over the last couple of years, whether it was Ryan Fitzpatrick, Dwayne Haskins, Taylor Heineke played most of the season for them. Kyle Allen has also played a few games for them. Jimmy Garoppolo would be an upgrade over Heineke as well. He would be an upgrade over Kyle Allen, you know, more than likely would be an upgrade over Ryan Fitzpatrick, except for the five times a year where Ryan Fitzpatrick plays like a Hall of Famer. So Jimmy Garoppolo would be an upgrade there. I think Jimmy Garoppolo is an upgrade for the Carolina Panthers with, you know, PJ Walker and Sam Darnold. I think Jimmy Garoppolo instantly makes the Carolina Panthers a better football team. So there are going to be several teams that are interested in Jimmy Garoppolo's services. Jimmy Garoppolo is going to have the opportunity to start in the NFL next season, as he should. He is a starting caliber quarterback in the NFL. I think of a team also like the Seattle Seahawks. If the Seahawks do end up trading Russell Wilson this offseason, if the Seahawks end up moving on from Wilson, would they then want to go get a quarterback like Jimmy Garoppolo? Now, I'm not saying that they would do what the Rams and Lions did this past offseason, where they essentially traded you know, starting quarterbacks plus draft compensation. Obviously, the Lions traded Stafford to the Rams and got Goff, so that's how they filled the starting quarterback position. I don't think that would happen because, obviously, the 49ers are moving on from Garoppolo to start Trey Lance, their first-round pick out of North Dakota State from this past draft. So they're not going to be interested in getting a Russell Wilson. But once the Seahawks have moved on from Wilson, are the Seahawks going to be interested in a full rebuild? If not, would Jimmy Garoppolo be someone who can still keep them relevant? Be interesting to see what they would do there. And it's going to be interesting to see what can the San Francisco 49ers get in return for a Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, the 49ers, a lot of people felt when they traded for Garoppolo, when they got him from New England, that they were kind of able to fleece the Patriots. They got a really good deal because they only had to give up a second round pick for Garoppolo. And at the time, that was seen as, you know, a major win for them. I'm not sure they're going to get better than a second round pick. I'm not sure Garoppolo is worth a first round pick at this point. I know a lot of people are going to point to Garoppolo's contract and the fact that Garoppolo is going to make decent money next season as kind of a, well, why would you trade for him? Garoppolo is set to make $27.5 million next season. That is his average salary for next year. But when you compare that to some other quarterbacks currently starting in the NFL, Ryan Tannehill is set to make higher money. Ryan Tannehill is set to make $29.5 million next year. Kirk Cousins is set to make higher money. Kirk Cousins is set to make $33 million next year. Carson Wentz is set to make higher money. Carson Wentz is set to make $32 million next year. And then probably the most egregious one is Jared Goff is set to make higher money next season. Jared Goff is set to make $33.5 million next year. So I would take Jimmy Garoppolo over Jared Goff. I would take Jimmy Garoppolo over Carson Wentz. 
you can get him for cheaper. So be interesting to see what teams would trade. I think Garoppolo is probably going to go for some type of combination of a second and a fourth, or maybe, you know, a third and a second the next year, some sort of combination around those lines. I don't think anybody is going to give up a first round pick for Garoppolo. The other thing that'll be interesting is when you look at Jimmy Garoppolo's contract specifically. Now we talked about how he is set to make $27.5 million next season. But Jimmy Garoppolo, after the 2022 season, is an unrestricted free agent. So if a team trades for him, is it a one-year rental? Are they only going to have him for one year, and then they've got to go get another quarterback? In that case, do you give up as much, or are you only willing to give up just a second-round pick in that instance? If you do trade for him, so if you're the Washington football team, for instance, and you trade for Jimmy Garoppolo, do you do what the 49ers did when they got Garoppolo? Because you have to remember, when the 49ers got Garoppolo in 2017, he was still on a rookie deal. They then, you know, it was because essentially the reason the Patriots traded Garoppolo was Garoppolo was unwilling to take a smaller deal to stay on. He wanted starting quarterback money in New England. Obviously, there was the whole, you know, Brady didn't want Garoppolo there anymore, essentially, because Brady did not like the idea of Garoppolo being there to replace him. But Bill Belichick really wanted to keep Garoppolo. He just couldn't justify paying him starting money. So he traded him to the 49ers. The 49ers immediately locked him up on a nice extension, a five-year, $137.5 million extension. So if you're the Washington football team, let's say you trade for Garoppolo. Let's say you give up a second-round pick for Garoppolo. Do you give him an extension? Now, obviously, he's not going to get five years, $137.5 million again. But do you give him a, you know two-year, $50 million extension, like what Tom Brady just got a couple of seasons ago in Tampa Bay, where you're paying him $25 million a year. If you pay Garoppolo $25 million a year, you know, versus the $27.5 million he's making now, he does fall down the list a bit, little bit. So Derek Carr would then be ahead of him as well in, you know, what they would be making per season. Or do you pay him more in the range of a Teddy Bridgewater Andy Dalton, where you say, hey, Come here, play with us next year. If you do well, we'll give you a one-year, $15 million extension, and you can have a prove-it year then. And then if you really, you know, if you put together two solid years of starting play for us, we'll give you that long-term deal. Or do you lock him up to the long-term deal? Or do you just take him as a one-year rental, hope he keeps you relevant, gets you in the playoffs? See, that is where I don't think teams should. If you're going to trade for Jimmy Garoppolo, I don't think he's a. I think he's too talented to be a bridge quarterback. He is not an Andy Dalton. He's not a Nick Foles. He's more talented than that. So he's too talented to be a bridge quarterback. With Jimmy Garoppolo, you're at least going to win. I would say somewhere between six and nine games. That would be the minimum with Jimmy Garoppolo as your starting quarterback is six to nine games. And at that point. You're not going to be drafting in the top five, so you wouldn't be able to get a Bryce Young or a C.J. Stroud, who will be the two you know, most coveted quarterback prospects out of next year's class. So it'll be interesting to see what do teams value Garoppolo at, what is his worth going to be on the open market, and also what are teams you know, thinking to do with him, what is going to be the game plan. It'll be interesting to see what the 49ers get in return for him. And then, of course, it's also going to be interesting to see what do the 49ers look like without Garoppolo. Obviously, Shanahan without Garoppolo in the past has been a disaster, but the quarterbacks he was starting other than Garoppolo were guys like C.J. Beathard, um, Nick Mullins, so we're not talking quality quarterback play here. So it'll be interesting to see what can Kyle Shanahan 
produce with Trey Lance. But that's all we've got for you guys today. Like I said, it has been a crazy couple of days in the football world. We will be back Friday. Of course, that is where we're going to have our hot take episode of the week. But until then, guys, like I always tell you, rate, subscribe, and review to the podcast. We will see you guys later. Have a good one. We'll